Hi, I'm Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking about healthcare today, the identity management challenge, and the role of strong authentication. It's my pleasure to be speaking with Tracy Holver. He's the Director of Identity Strategy at Synchronous Technologies. Tracy, thanks so much for joining me today. Pleasure to be here, Tom. Let's take a step back and talk a little bit about healthcare information security and what makes it unique. As you look at the industry, what are some of the current threats that most have your attention? Well, healthcare is no different in one sense from any other target that criminals, nation states, hacktivists are targeting. Everyone is in danger. All the data is at, at, uh, has a threat against it. What makes healthcare different is People's privacy is at the heart of healthcare information. So not only is there a financial component and motivator, because we all have to pay insurance premiums, we all pay copay, we all pay non-in-network uh, procedures, prescriptions, etc. So there absolutely is a financial motivation uh, to this, but also there's a there's a strong privacy element as well. If there's anything that I want to keep private as a citizen or as an individual, healthcare information is at the top of that. And that's why we have healthcare being one of the most regulated industries uh, in any vertical. Um, HIPAA and high tech are the two main uh, compliance around that, but even PCI back to the financial uh, piece to it as well. So because you have both a very tight privacy element to healthcare information as well as financial, that makes it a, a premium target. And, and that's why when you look at healthcare organizations and data breaches, uh, healthcare is at the top. And in fact, just today, there was an article about the data breaches thus far in 2016. There's been over 750 data breaches. And guess what vertical is at the top? Medical and healthcare, which represented about 36% of the entire data breaches that have happened. Well, Tracy, that's a good segue to my next question. What do you see in healthcare's relative preparedness to respond to the types of threats you've just been talking about? Well, I think it depends on the type of preparedness you're speaking to. So if you're looking at basic security 101, uh, malware, uh, protected, uh, protecting against denial of service attacks, uh, intrusions, etc. Um, healthcare, they're a little bit behind the other verticals, but for the most part, it's it's within the realm of they're all equal. It's beyond the basics that you run into the preparedness issue. It's more the advanced types of defenses that you want to deploy. It, security these days are about defense in depth. You can't just have one type of defense mechanism and expect your network and your infrastructure to really be protected. Think of a car. A car has a seatbelt. It has airbags. It has anti-lock brakes. It has crumple zones. It has a lot of different protection mechanisms uh, to protect the individuals in, within the vehicle. It's no different than an IT um, security, protecting uh, security infrastructure. The challenge in healthcare is that by far, uh, in any survey that you look at, most healthcare professionals feel that they are not prepared. Uh, part of that is because healthcare organizations 
have spent more budget on other areas. Uh, and part of it is because they just don't have as much budget. In fact, some statistics will show you that typically healthcare budgets, security budgets are about half of what uh, the other industries are. So a, a lot of it is about how much effort, uh, how much budget we have to protect our infrastructures. And then also on top of that, they're the high target, right? They're, they're the, they're the high value target that people are going after. So if you look at things beyond the, the standard malware types of attacks, uh, ransomware is very big in healthcare for the reasons I, I mentioned earlier because they're, it's, it's a high value uh, type of target. And in a lot of cases, it's easier for someone to simply pay a ransom to get my 500 records back uh, than it is to try and go and, and deal with uh, not getting them back and the exposure to the public of that information, et cetera. Tracy, as you and I both know, no one ever gets attacked by an unsophisticated adversary, but <laughs> we also know that a lot of the attacks we see aren't particularly sophisticated, and they do boil down to stolen credentials. Why have healthcare entities in particular been slow to adopt strong authentication in general, multi-factor in particular? It's a great question, Tom. And an interesting survey that came out uh, earlier this year uh, ranked the total implementation services uh, within the healthcare vertical. And of the 25 types of categories that they had, an example, the three at the top were antivirus, malware, firewalls, and data encryption. 17th on the list was strong authentication or multi-factor authentication, uh, which isn't technically synonymous, but for the sake of, of our discussion today, I'll, I'll make it synonymous. So why is that a problem? Well, if you look at the Verizon Data Breach Investigations Report uh, that came out earlier this year, but by far, the primary attack vector breaches of not only Verizon, but all of the players that make up that report, and there's over 50 of them, the top way that, that most of the data breaches occurred um, were through some type of weakened credential, stolen credential, etc. That's the first place that criminals get into systems. Now, from there... They can install malware, they can install spyware, they can install ransomware. So the, the issue then would be, well, if, if stolen credentials and the ability to roll out strong authentication is a way to prevent that, why hasn't it happened? And I, I think part of it is what we talked about uh, uh, just a, a moment ago, which is, is budgets. Um, second, I think that people don't realize how effective multi-factor authentication, strong authentication can be in helping prevent criminals, nation states, hacktivists, etc., from at least getting their foot in the door. Um, again, going back to defense in depth, it's one vector that you need to shut down. And the one of the biggest uh, problems that, that people have faced with rolling out multi-factor authentication is you can install a firewall, you can install an IPS, you can even install uh, anti-malware across your network, and users may or may not be impacted by that from a usability. Identity, on the other hand, has been something that impacts every user on the network. So organizations are hesitant to roll something out like strong authentication if it's going to create 
an extra step that their either employees, partners, or end users are going to have to do. The example that I use is uh, in the United States, uh, over the past 18 months, they've rolled out uh, the, the chip and pin on, on credit cards. And even though that no one would argue that it doesn't make the transactions more secure, what do you see in the last few months in the news? That users are frustrated because they have to spend an extra eight seconds waiting for the thing to read. So usability, even though it's stronger, um, usability does become an issue. So the key is how do you balance effective security and effective uh, risk profiling, um, yet making it easy enough that users won't be impacted. Again, whether we're talking employees, whether we're talking partners, or even rolling it out to uh, at the patient citizen level. Tracy, let's bring it back to synchronous. How are you helping some of your own customers deal with these challenges we've just been discussing? Well, number one, we have to recognize that one way to prevent data breaches is to prevent and, and defend against the primary attack vector that's happened, and that is through some stolen, weakened credential. And in fact, even though it doesn't uh, directly impact the healthcare system, you could use a recent hack uh, of Yahoo and the 400 million user IDs and passwords that were exposed. They say it doesn't directly impact, but I'm using it as an example, is because I would submit to you that it does impact healthcare, because me as an individual, even though a Yahoo account is probably used at a personal level, I typically have a password user combination that either is the same or is similar to other username and password combinations that I use. So the argument would be whoever stole, whether it was a nation state, whether it was a, hack to, uh, a hacking group, whether it was an individual or a group of individuals, doesn't really matter. Did they really want to get access to the Yahoo mail account, or did they want to get access to the username and passwords and then be able to leverage those across all other types of verticals to get access to really the key data? So if I have a username of car and a password of uh, Porsche uh, for my Yahoo account, uh, maybe I take that and, and someone would take that and try to use it against uh, uh, the 10 major banks in the United States or the 10 major healthcare organizations. And out of 400 million, even if I get a, a, a 2% hit on a, a username and password combination at a financial institution, that's still uh, hundreds of thousands of records. So um, it, it, when, you're, when you have a weakened ecosystem, it weakens everything that's connected to that ecosystem. So being able to defend against that and say that even if I had a username, uh, even, Tom, if I had your username and password, if you were using second factor strong authentication across your accounts, I still could not get access to those accounts because I wouldn't have the device or I wouldn't have access to the one-time passcode that you need to use to get into these other, other systems. So uh, deploying something that can uh, help defend against the largest attack vector uh, is very important. Is it going to solve the security problem? I'm, I'm not here to say that rolling out strong authentication or multi-factor authentication is going to prevent data breaches. We all know that would be ridiculous. However, if it can make the life harder of, of, of the criminals that are trying to do this and it helps protect your data, then it's a good thing to do. So talk to me about how you help organizations, Tracy, and not just in healthcare, but how do you help organizations to build the business case 
to invest in new identity management solutions. I can see that could be a tough sell in some cases. It can in some cases. I think most people would recognize, no one's going to argue with, uh, there are enough surveys, whether it's the data breach investigation report, whether it's the HIM survey, whether it's surveys from Ponemon, whatever whatever the, the survey is to show that statistically, quantifiably, uh, there is a direct correlation between data breaches and the lack of strong authentication. So it really boils down to how do they implement and I think that the, the metrics or the, the, the success criteria that companies need to look at is um, the cost. You're, you're not going to deploy something that is $10 million to solve a, uh, a $1 million problem. So whatever you deploy has to be economically uh, feasible. That's number one, especially with the, the tight budgets that healthcare has. Number two, it has to be set up so it's not going to negatively impact your user experience. Again, users could be employees, partners, or even downstream patients, um, customers, etc. And and that's the key. What? How do I balance this this uh, ease of use, making it more secure at the same time, and making it economically feasible? And that's really where we come in. Um, our technology is is cloud based, so there's no internal infrastructure costs in the management of that infrastructure costs. Um, trying to hire talent that can run those infrastructures. Um, cloud-based uh, re- relies on very hardened, secure, carrier-grade types of data centers and services, um, which makes it much more economical. Another concept that we have is, is let the users, from an easy-use standpoint, use devices, technology that they're familiar with. So there's a big movement around bring your own devices or bring your own identity. And if you can lock down those devices, those services that users are familiar with, and yet turn them into a strong credential that they can use um, to get access to your resources, um, then that is something that helps with the end user experience. Because the last thing you want to do is to deploy something and not only have it negatively impact your your, your customer's user experience, but then also increase your help desk calls and, and, and so forth. Our solutions allow you to economically deploy technology um, to uh, roll out something and deploy something that is as easy, if not in some cases easier to use than a standard username and password combination, and at the same time raising that risk score, raising that risk profile um, to understand and, and determine when do I need to implement stronger authentication, when do I need to you stepped up authentication um, over just standard username and password. Tracy, last question for you, and it's a big one. <laughs> Where does one begin to start to solve this problem? <laughs> what advice do you give? Not a, not, not a tough one now. I, I, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you want me to explain how to split the atom? Um, I, I think that uh, actually it's a, it's a very good question. It's a question that, that really is, is one of the first questions that we get after why do we want to deploy this technology? And, and the key is that it doesn't have to be done overnight. Um, I would say that, that first off, you, you have to look at what areas um, of your business are the most exposed. Maybe your employees, you feel comfortable with your employees. Maybe your employees use second-factor authentication already, but you haven't been able to roll it out to your partners. Or maybe you haven't, you find that it's very difficult to, deploy uh, strong authentication to contractors that you use that come in and out of your network. 
look at where you believe you're, you're most exposed. And, and probably, unfortunately, most healthcare organizations have already experienced some type of data breach. How did that happen? Lock that down first. Roll that strong authentication out to that group, to that level of service that you're offering. Then expand out. So let's look that now let's look at um, taking my employees and, and having them use strong authentication and eventually lock the patients down as well. If you uh, are, are dealing with the public or dealing with consumers in, in general. And again, you don't necessarily have to roll it out to 10 million users at once. You can do it in a, in a staged event. And the fact that uh, we are a cloud-based service, allows them to do that, not only financially, uh, but it allows them to do that at, at scale. So you're not going to have to worry about, well, I need one scaled system for a 1,000 users, but when I roll it out to my patients and I have 500,000 patients, uh, now I've got to totally reinvest in my infrastructure. The cloud can scale as the usability scales. And ultimately what you're doing is you're locking down your systems, you're locking down your access, you're taking away a major attack vector uh, that is currently being used primarily at this stage for ransomware, but who knows what, what where it's going to be used moving forward. Um, it's not that daunting of a task, and um, the technology allows you to roll it out to where you are really strengthening that credential and, and allowing those users to get access to what they need without adding a tremendous level of sophistication on top of that. Tracy, that's great advice. Thanks so much for your insight today. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. We've been talking about healthcare's identity management challenge. I've been speaking with Tracy Hulver, the Director of Identity Strategy at Synchronous Technologies. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much. <laughs>